It's Wednesday, June 14th. I'm Trayvell Anderson. And I'm Juanita Tolliver, and this is What A Day, where we will not be lining up to see the live-action remake of Bambi. Listen, the live-action death of Mufasa was enough. I don't need to see (laughs) another one. I'm just saying. 100% with you. (laughs) Why am I laughing? today's show, the U.S. is sending more military aid to Ukraine. Plus, Pat Sajak is retiring as host of Will of Fortune. But first, our top story of the day has to be about Donald Trump, whether we want it to be or not. And we don't want it to be, FYI. I mean, just to keep it 100. Listen, you know? okay. <laughs> But that is because the former president, who is now the first president to ever be charged with federal crimes, was arraigned in a Miami courthouse yesterday. As we've covered at length already, Trump has been indicted in the case regarding classified documents that were seized from Mar-a-Lago. These were documents that should have never left the White House, let alone end up in a bathroom or storage room at Trump's home. There's a total of 37 counts, but the long and short of it is that Trump risked disclosure of national defense secrets by having these documents in his possession. He even showed them to people who didn't have the security clearance to be viewing them in the first place. And he also intentionally obstructed the government's efforts to reclaim the materials by lying and scheming and wrapping up other people in his mess, namely his Diet Coke valet turned personal aide Walt Nauta. Nauta is also charged in this case with lying to investigators and scheming with Trump to hide the boxes that can contained these classified documents. I gotta say, it's one hell of a jump from Navy veteran to Diet Coke valet to now co-defendant, all by the age of 40. But, alas... I guess the checks keep on cashing. I don't know. (laughs) While Nauta didn't enter a plea during the arraignment, a legal technicality that we will get into later, Trump did enter a plea and surprise, surprise, he's going with not guilty again for his second indictment. As if there isn't actual evidence that he is guilty, 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 or a loser, 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 as Chris Christie put it on the Twitters. We try not to quote Chris Christie much here, but this is a perfect quote. We'll take it. We'll take it. (laughs) This one little sliver. (laughs) (laughs) And you're right. There's so much evidence. But of course, Trump has to say he's not guilty so that he can continue campaigning for president and drumming up support under the guise of there being this political witch hunt against him orchestrated by Biden and Hillary and the Democrats. And he did just that hours after leaving Miami for his golf course in Bedminster, New Jersey, where he held a fundraiser for his 2024 campaign. As you'd expect, it was the usual foolishness we hear from him. His birthday is also today, so the folks in attendance sang happy birthday. Do with that information what you want to, Juanita. Gag, 100%. Yeah, it is what it is. Now, I hope that all of you out there in Wad Squadlandia can hear the disgust and the disdain and the downright annoyance in our voices because these are truly wild times to be living through and having to cover. But nevertheless, we persist. And so we called up our friend of the show, Harry Littman, to give us an idea of what can and might happen next in this case. Harry is a senior legal affairs columnist at the Los Angeles Times and host of the politics podcast, 
talking feds. He's also a former deputy assistant attorney general at the Department of Justice. So, you know, he knows a thing or two. We started our conversation by asking him to describe the scene inside the courtroom yesterday where, according to reports, Trump was giving low energy. Take a listen. Yeah, I think all energy's uh, covers. He didn't even say a word, you know, and he piped up not guilty. This time he let his lawyer do the talking. His hands were crossed over his chest and he was in his kind of glowering uh, mode, of course, ready to just bust out of there and begin to rain down all kinds of insults on Jack Smith, who, by the way, was in the courtroom Joe Biden, who has nothing to do with this at all. But an, an arraignment is normally, you know, exciting as watching paint dry. And the script wasn't varied here. It was very short. He said that he waived the reading of the indictment. His lawyer for him entered the plea of not guilty. They said, you're free to go on your own. You don't have to post bond. It makes sense. For one, he's got secret service and he's running for president. He's not going anywhere and he's very recognizable. So we expected that. And it was all over quickly. Now, the question is, what happens next? The magistrate who was handling it is just a guy on duty, uh, not even the magistrate for Judge Cannon. So in brief, we're going to get an official ruling about conditions of confinement, but I'll stay the same. And then uh, government will turn over a bunch of material to him. And then we're into these off and running on pretrial motions. That's what's ahead. And I'm expecting Cannon to issue some kind of order, including for a conference. Come on in and we can set the schedule for the rest of the time. And we'll have our first indication about whether she's going to slow walk it or not. A real, real, real risk with her because... If it's not heard, if the case doesn't go to trial before November, the American people, pro-Trump, anti-Trump, uh, down the middle, won't be able to have a pretty big, important piece of information in knowing whether to vote for him if he's the nominee, which mm -hmm. is, is he a federal convict and has he committed espionage dozens of times? Ooh. I'd want to know that even if I was supporting the guy. I mean, but do you even have to ask if he's become the first president ever indicted with these federal charges? Like, I don't even think it's a question, but that's just me. I don't have to ask. <laughs> I've seen the evidence, but we do have a jury system. It does provide for constitutional guarantee. <laughs> but apparently, according to Republicans, he's not getting a fair shot. So let's dig into this, though, because you said there was no bond. We know no passport was surrendered. We know there was no mugshot. He got to upload a picture into the court system. Why does Trump really get to go on living his life as though none of this is happening, especially when Republicans say this isn't fair? Yeah. And his first stop after leaving the courthouse was a Cuban restaurant that was full of his supporters. Like, it was giving campaign rally. Is this what we should expect? I think so. Also, by the way, no ink doesn't have to dirty his fingers. Oh, come on. It was specified. He wants to do it electronically. <laughs> you can do that now. Wow. I wish when I'm getting arrested and arraigned, I can make specifications, but okay. Yeah, well, no, we're going to have this compare and contrast all day, all month, all year long. On the other hand, they didn't make up the rules just for him. It's true. You don't have to get a mugshot if everyone knows who you are. You know, they weren't changing up the order, but they were applying it favorably. But the real risk is when the Cannon Circus comes to town next week or the week after and how indulgent she's going to be in a series of motions that he's telegraphed, his lawyers have, that they're going to make and seem pretty garbage to me. 
You just mentioned Judge Aileen Cannon, who's on this case. You recently wrote about the messiness of having her preside over this case for the LA Times. Could you walk us through why exactly having her stay on could be, you know, a nightmare scenario here? Yeah, I'd be glad to. And I'll bet the DOJ, when it said we should go to Florida so we don't get in trouble on venue, they said... Well, we could get Eileen Cannon, but how likely is that? Well, now we know. So here's the deal. Everyone says, and rightly, eventually this goes to a jury. They decide on the facts. Even if I think, by the way, it's a hung jury, the DOJ would try it again. But there is so much that any judge, but especially Eileen Cannon, can do to make it harder from jury selection. Somebody shows up and says, I'm very pro-Trump, and she just, you know, Trump... Uh, team says, oh, but you could be fair, right? Oh, yeah, I could be fair. And Cannon says, good Come enough for on. me. Or um, evidence calls. I, you know, I think your listeners are familiar with the Evan Corcoran notes. That's kind of the star witness in the case. She could totally, she could change the whole, she could make him inadmissible just because another judge said there's a prima facie case, as the lawyers say, to admit them. She could say, yeah, maybe there was, but I'm making the call now and I disagree. She could do things at jury um, conference, what the instructions are. And first and foremost, she could delay things. That wouldn't even take such bias. You know, that's going to be Trump's plan. He'll stand up. I'll bet he'll stand up the first time and say, let's do nothing for a few months. I have new lawyers here. They need to get up to speed. And a judge who doesn't push back and keep control of the courtroom. And on top of everything else, she's a spanking new judge when the last one's Trump appointed is going to find themselves really run uh, ragged by Trump, and that'll delay things. And as I said, that's bad for the country. Quick follow-up here. Is there any world in which Judge Cannon is reassigned or the case is reassigned to someone else? There is a world. So like the law says, she should do it on her own if her impartiality could reasonably be questioned. And A, it could be, and B, I mean, talk about a lot of headaches and potential threats to her reputation, et cetera. Maybe she won't want it, but she doesn't seem to be that kind of judge. So first, she could step aside. Then second, a lot of people are, there is law out there that the 11th Circuit, um, that's the, the sort of court above her, could say, you've got to go. But it's it's even more extreme. It has to do with district court judges who just thumb their nose at the Court of Appeals. She just had egregiously wrong rulings. And it's not such a strong case as I see it, even though you have some experts out there saying that it is, that the 11th Circuit would bounce her. And it's not clear the DOJ will try because they generally shy away from doing it. You look bad and then maybe they don't want it to look bad in the country. So the law, to me, if you just think of the words of the law, could her impartiality reasonably question? Uh, yeah. But does that, when you funnel that through the actual law in the part of the United States where she sits, if she wants to stay, I don't like the odds of getting her off very much. But considering that Trump struggled to find legal representation for the arraignment, how would you rate the, shall we say, quality of Trump's legal team right now? And is he in good hands here, especially when you consider that it was one of his previous attorneys who essentially gave the DOJ a roadmap for all the crimes? I mean, he's only the worst client 
in the history of the universe. He, he says all these terrible things. He doesn't pay people. He insults them and the like. So he had to totally dredge up whatever. As I read, I think he's got a couple competent people on hand. Of course, just last week, two competent people walked. And one reason, by the way, that they walked is because there's this guy that we don't see very much, but he showed up in Manhattan, Boris Epstein, who insists on running the show and Trump likes him. And he's a total stick in the craw to the other lawyers. Mm. And he's going to remain. But he's had some 100% spectacular buffoons as lawyers. We also know that some solid people have already said, no, thank you. And a lot of law firms will want not want their lawyers there still in the whole world to get someone to represent a former president in the most important criminal case uh, ever, you wouldn't think that would be so uh, hard. And I think he has stumbled on people who will represent him competently. That was our conversation with Harry Littman, LA Times legal affairs columnist and host of the podcast Talking Feds. And while I hope we won't have to talk about Donald Trump for the rest of the week, that is the latest for now. Let's get to some headlines. Headlines. An overnight Russian airstrike left at least 11 people dead and dozens of others injured in Ukraine yesterday. The deadly attack hit a large apartment complex in the central city of Krivi, the hometown of Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky. The city is also reeling from the massive Kakova Dam explosion last week. For his part, Zelensky called it a, quote, unjustified attack on innocent civilians. Meanwhile, officials in Kyiv and the northeastern city of Kharkiv also saw missiles fire on Tuesday, but reported no casualties. Moscow has ramped up its airstrikes in recent weeks as the Ukrainian military mounts its counteroffensive against Russian forces, though yesterday's strike was the deadliest so far. Also on Tuesday, the U.S. said it would send Ukraine another round of military aid, adding up to $325 million. This particular package is heavy on rockets and other munitions to help Ukraine counter these kinds of attacks. That now means the U.S. has provided Ukraine a total of $40 billion in aid since the beginning of Russia's invasion last year. And we've learned some tragic new details about the sudden death of an American Olympic champion. A newly released autopsy report found that track star Tori Bowie, who was found dead in her Florida home last month, was eight months pregnant and died while she was in labor. She was only 32 years old. Before the report was made public, local authorities had only said they did not suspect any foul play. Bowie won bronze, silver, and gold medals during the 2016 Olympics in Rio de Janeiro. And at the track and field world championships just a year later, her 100-meter relay performance earned her the distinction of being the fastest woman in the world at the time. The shocking report of her death is now renewing conversations about the medical racism Black women face in the American healthcare system. For example, Black women have the highest maternal mortality rate in the United States and are nearly three times more likely to die in childbirth than white women. Black babies are also more likely to be born prematurely, often leading to significant health issues as they grow up. It's also worth noting that two of Bowie's teammates on the 4x100m relay team in Rio also suffered through difficult pregnancies. 
Tiana Tashel gave birth to her son 14 weeks early. And Allison Felix, who testified before Congress about racial disparities in maternal health after she had an emergency C-section at 32 weeks. And I promise you, the number one stat I think of is that three times more likely to die every single time one of my homies tells me they are expecting. Mm-hmm. Let's switch gears here to some news from the world of television. After 40 seasons and over 7,000 episodes of wondering how the hell some people cannot spell, Pat Sajak announced this week on Twitter that he will retire from hosting Wheel of Fortune, but will stay on as a consultant for the show for several more years. Sajak started his TV career as a weather forecaster for a local Los Angeles station before taking on the role to preside over America's Game in 1981 alongside co-host Vanna White. Since then, he's won three daytime Emmys, including a Lifetime Achievement Award. The 76-year-old and Vanna White are among the longest-running hosts of any TV game show in American history, and Wheel of Fortune averages around 8 million viewers every night. In a tweet announcing his decision to retire, Sajak said, quote, It's been a wonderful ride, and I'll have more to say in the coming months. Many thanks to you all. If nothing else, it'll keep the clickbait sites busy. I just would like to say, you know, if Miss Vanna White wants to step away from the letters and, you know, stand <laughs> at the podium for a few, I personally, as a fan of Wheel of Fortune, would welcome it. And finally, there will be a few more statues to give out at the next Grammy Awards. Starting next year, the ceremony will include three new categories to the 66th edition of the show. They include Best African Music Performance, Best Pop Dance Recording, and Best Alternative Jazz Album. I'm here for more representation. I'm here for more accolades for African Mm -hmm. music. I'm here for it all. The Recording Academy, which organizes the Grammys, also moved two existing categories, Producer of the Year, Non-Classical, and Songwriter of the Year, Non-Classical, to the general field, meaning that all Grammy voters will be able to participate in selecting those winners. In a statement yesterday, Recording Academy CEO Harvey Mason Jr. said the changes are meant to reflect a more diverse range of musical genres and to, quote, stay aligned with the ever-evolving musical landscape. Again, I'm here for the expansion. I'm excited for it all. I don't think this solves the problem around pop versus R&B and which black artists belong where, Mm -hmm. but this is a start. I mean, sure, we'll take it. We'll take what we can get, (laughs) right? We started all this, if we're being quite honest. Period. So it's all our categories. If we talking, you know, history, you know, I know the folks don't read history books no more, but you know, (laughs) what? They don't. Because why? Because they're getting banned and whatnot across the country. Okay, okay. I love how you put a bow on that. Come on. (laughs) Come on, Trey Bell. That being said, I love these changes that the Recording Academy is doing, particularly the best African music performance category. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Afrobeats, which has been, you know, having a moment in quote unquote mainstream music. So love that. Shout out to them. This is a net good, I believe. And with that, those are the headlines. We'll be back after some ads to talk about some online beef between two allegedly grown people. Alleged, yikes. (laughs) (laughs) What a Day is brought to you by Fast Growing Trees. Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers. They have everything you could possibly want, like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, houseplants, 
and so much more. Plus, fast-growing trees makes it easy to order online, and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. We love fast-growing trees here. I keep telling you that the many plants that I've gotten from these folks are yet hanging on. Um, And that's not because I have a green thumb, okay? This spring, fast-growing trees, they have the best deals online, up to half off on select plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code WAD at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at fastgrowingtrees.com using the code WAD at checkout. Fastgrowingtrees.com, code WAD. Offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. What a Day is brought to you by Ulta Beauty. This AAPI Heritage Month, Ulta Beauty is celebrating the joy of belonging, belonging to a community composed of intricate connections, belonging to our past and our future, to the heritage and birthright that is beauty. Ulta Beauty shines a light on the AAPI community, passing the mic to brand founders and creators to tell their stories centered on heritage, joy, and beauty. They carry AAPI-owned and founded brands like Live Tinted, Peach and Lily, Glamnetic, Tree Hut, and more. Shop AAPI-owned and founded brands at Ulta Beauty Stores and Ulta.com. What a day is brought to you by Books. This Mother's Day, give mom her flowers. She absolutely deserves the best. And that's why you should send her farm fresh flowers from Books. That's short for bouquets. Books has modern designs and unique flowers you can't find anywhere else. And with 20% off, you can send some to mom, your wife, your auntie, even your granny, okay? Anyone who deserves flowers in your life mm-hmm. doesn't have to be holiday specific you get flowers you're getting flowers <laughs> everyone's getting flowers <laughs> go to books.com and use promo code wad for 25 percent off that is b-o-u-q-s.com promo code wad books promo code wad It's Wednesday Wad Squad, and that means it's time for a little midweek temp check. Now, this is some news for us grown folks, okay? So if you're under a certain age, take some notes, pull out your pen and paper, or is it your your notes app (laughs) on your phone? Perhaps that's where we go these days. No, don't nobody write nothing down no more, (laughs) Chanel. I know. It's a problem. We need to figure that out, everybody. But let's start from the beginning, okay? Yesterday morning, Anita Baker, the queen of the quiet storm, came down on legendary producer Babyface and his fans. I'll press pause here for all of you young folks listening, okay? I know you are at the kitty table and you are listening in on grown folks' business. So if you don't know who we talking about, just go on ahead and Google them right now. It's fine. We won't hold it against you. That's totally okay. Anyway, the songstress herself announced that Babyface will no longer be the opening act for the remainder of her 15-city tour. Now, this all started on May 10th, when Babyface was unexpectedly pulled from her New Jersey concert. He explained to his fans on Twitter he was tossed, quote, to give Miss Baker her space and time to perform her show in its entirety because things were already running late. Okay. He later acknowledged the delay was due to technical issues, but his initial comments set off a wave of criticism against Anita from Babyface's fans, and she even got into it with a few of them online. Eventually, she said, enough is enough, and on Monday, she clapped back at one of them and asked Babyface himself to, quote, call off your boys. A day later, she went on to strike him from the tour completely, saying his fans were cyberbullying her and even threatening her 
her with violence. So, Juanita, I have to ask, who should be the one singing the 1994 hit, I Apologize, after all of this? As we say in the South, not now one. <laughs> like, neither one of them is going to. Okay, I'm just gagged at the fact that this has all transpired in a month. Yeah. This is wild. I'm also gagged at all the history it has drug up about Miss Baker's previous feud with uh, Luther Vandross. None um, other. Um. Apparently... Miss Baker has a history with these feuds and it's not a good look. But my favorite tweet that encapsulated all of this was from at Kyla underscore Lacey. Anita Baker and babyface fighting is like your uncle and auntie getting into it. And now grandma has to move. (laughs) (laughs) Took me out. But it's the realest because now the family is divided. Black Twitter is divided. Yes. And I just want peace. What about you, Trayvell? What do you think? So here's the thing. Two days after that May 10th situation in which he was not able to perform because of the technical issues, I saw this show in New Jersey. Oh, spill the okay. tea! Now, me and my friend, we were going to see Anita Baker. We weren't going to see Babyface, so we arrived a little late. We arrived like midway oh, into on. his. Not CP time, Lord. No, it wasn't CP time. We purposely <laughs> arrived on time for Anita. Okay, bless. That, that was our focus. But okay, the twenty minutes that I did witness of Babyface's set hits. Hits on top of hits, okay? I mean, if it was giving anything like that Tiny Desk performance, I fully believe you. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I will note, in all of this drama here, right, it is Anita Baker's concert. Period. It is Anita Baker's, too. She is the headliner, despite Babyface's iconic status, okay? He is the opening act. And so, yes, Anita Baker needs all her time for her set on her tour, which will likely be, if I may add, her last tour ever. Because she getting up there in age with all due respect, okay? Matter of fact, okay? And I will step off my soapbox (laughs) in 45 (laughs) seconds, I promise. Trayvell, you are caught up in the rapture, (laughs) friend. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Matter of fact, the reason why she's on this tour is because she did a mini tour last year that was supposed to be her last tour, but it had so much attention on it. She expanded it. Okay. Okay. Mm. And so we need to put some respect on Anita Baker's name. Mm. That's all I got to say. I can accept that. I can appreciate that. And just like that, we have checked our temps. They are caught up in the rapture of love, as (laughs) Juanita just said. Okay. (laughs) And we love that for us. Bless. (laughs) One more thing before we go. A little reminder that Crooked is raising money for Vote Save America's Fuck Bands Leave Queer Kids Alone Fund. Our original goal was $50,000, but because all of you are so amazing, you helped us crush that already. So now we're doubling it to $100,000. Your donations will help support organizations working on the ground in states that are targeting trans youth by banning gender and life-affirming care. You can choose to donate to either political impact organizations or a 
tax deductible nonprofit or both, because we know some of y'all got some extra dollars, so why not? Head to votesaveamerica.com slash fuckbands to learn more and donate today. That's all for today. If you like the show, make sure you subscribe, leave a review, buy a vowel, and tell your friends to listen. And if you're into reading and not just Anita Baker's Twitter replies like me, What A Day is also a nightly newsletter. Check it out and subscribe at crooked.com slash subscribe. I'm Trayvell Anderson. I'm Juanita Tolliver. And, and fuck, fuck your, your birthday, birthday Donald, Donald Trump! We don't care. <laughs> and I hope you stub your toe on a coffee table. <laughs> Out here giving Gemini's a bad name. Come on. Gemini's had a bad name before Trump. Now, oh, don't you dare. I'm just don't saying. You dare. <laughs> I'm just saying. Come on now. Let's not do that. What a Day is a production of Crooked Media. It's recorded and mixed by Bill Lance. Our show's producer is Itzi Quintanilla. Raven Yamamoto and Natalie Bettendorf are our associate producers. And our senior producer is Lita Martinez. Our theme music is by Colin Gilliard and Kashaka. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Why are smart businesses graduating to NetSuite by Oracle? Because NetSuite eliminates the expense of multiple business systems by consolidating your operations together into one. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. NetSuite reduces IT costs because it lives in the cloud with no hardware required, so you can access it from anywhere. You cut the cost and headaches of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. Bringing all your major business processes into one platform improves efficiency, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move, so do the math. You'll see how you'll profit with NetSuite, too. And now, by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Just go to netsuite.com slash podcast25 for more information. That's netsuite.com slash podcast25.